everyone, and welcome to the Equity and Education podcast. I'm your host, Maylin Sandejas. I am a Western Washington University student, and I'm also enrolled in Woodring College of Education. I am majoring in special education and elementary education. Today, we'll be talking about discipline in schools, what its purpose is, and how it is applied in schools. We'll also touch on disproportionality and discipline and the school-to-prison pipeline. In a second, I will be joined by Tansy Lysad. Tansy is a semi-pro distance learner and educator. She has four years of teaching experience under her belt. She has taught physical education and health and wellness classes at Everett Community College in Washington, and is now teaching high school science in Colorado. Welcome, Tansy. Hi, Maylin. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. <laughs> no problem. Okay, um, let's start with, so we'll be talking about discipline in schools. So can you kind of give me an idea of what you believe the purpose of discipline in school is? So like, is it to get kids quiet so learning can happen, to teach self-control or to punish? Like, what is the purpose of discipline? Um, I would say that it's probably individual depending on the teacher. I'm a high school teacher. I teach mostly freshmen mm-hmm. every day. Um, I have some sophomores. I, I have a smattering of all the grades, but the majority of my kids are freshmen. And for me, discipline is more about correcting behavior in order to create the most safe environment for uh-huh all people involved. So that includes teachers, students. If we have paraeducators in the room, it's more about, in, at least in my classroom, making sure that it's always a safe space for everyone. Yeah. So it's just creating a safe space for students and teachers and everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Or and in my opinion, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So can you share with us um, what your own experiences with discipline in school were like as a child? What did your teachers do? Yeah, I feel like when we were younger, maybe if the class was rowdy, we would get recess time taken away, or um, maybe we had to stand out in the hallway if we were, not me personally, but (laughs) if students were disruptive, maybe they had to stand out in the hallway, um, getting sent to the principal's office, having a phone call with your parents or like a specific parent conference with your teacher if you did something Mm -hmm. wrong. Um, For me personally, I I don't think I got a lot of discipline, mostly mostly because I was pretty scared of getting in trouble. (laughs) But those are kind of like the disciplinary acts that were, um, at least in my younger years, when you get to high school, it's, you know, lunch duty, detention, Oh, one time when I was in elementary school, if you were doing something bad at recess, you had to go stand on the fence line, Uh uh, which was kind of like a timeout. So I had to do that one time and I don't even remember why, but you know, there's these kind of little moments that you have even from when we're really young that discipline is enacted in our schools. Yeah, I think for a lot of elementary and middle schools it really is all about exclusionary discipline so it's really just taking students out of the classroom and like kind of punishing them really for not following attention or for not having like behavior like for me I remember in elementary school I think it was like in fifth grade 
and this was like the whole class so like I didn't do anything but I can't remember mm-hmm. what we did but they were like for recess the whole recess you're just gonna write on a paper um I, I think like the rules of the classroom or something so like the whole recess um, we were just writing like the same sentence over and over and over again yeah well and it's interesting because I think it's it's kind of fun to be a teacher now mm-hmm. um, and see, especially having kind of my background in like psychology, how those those measures of discipline can be pretty detrimental actually to kids. Yeah. Like they, it's like I said, it's a way to correct the behavior, but it is a form of punishment to ensure that kids don't step out of line. Mm-hmm. And as someone that my job a lot of the times is just managing chaos. I definitely understand the frustration, but there's a huge psychological impact that I think if you ask anyone about getting in trouble when they were younger, everyone has a story that is like burned into their brain of getting in trouble in school. So um, it definitely shows the power of discipline, especially if it's, um, you know, something maybe that should be done a little bit differently. Yeah, I feel like, like, those approaches to discipline, they never really, like, look into the underlying factors of the behavior, they just punish the behavior, but they don't do anything to correct it, like, like, they don't look at the problem and say, okay, why is this kid misbehaving? Is some, do they not get anything? And am I doing something wrong? It's like solely focused on punishing for the behavior. So that's what I think. Yeah, and And to try to make them feel bad so they won't do it again. And that, I think, is the, um, you know, in thinking critically about this, like, that's the more powerful but more negative piece of discipline is that sometimes when it's enacted, it's done to make sure that it's not repeated, but it can be done in such a harmful way Mm -hmm. or, like you were saying, in an exclusionary way. Yeah. So I guess knowing all this and your experiences, what approaches do you um, use for discipline in your class now? Like, what do you do if a kid misbehaves? I, hmm, it's very interesting. It, it, it's a kid by kid basis because some kids, like, for example, I have a student that has um, ADHD. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of, he's very energetic, very talkative. And he also knows that that makes him disruptive in class he definitely owns that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop his behavior so with a kid like that for example sometimes I'll just call him out and say hey I need you to stop talking Uh um and we can't stop being disruptive in class I might have you go sit in the hall for a few minutes um which isn't (laughs) it's not the best way to handle the situation sometimes removing the stimulus Mm -hmm. is a good way to get everyone to cool down yeah but knowing that if it's a kid just in general that is more loud and disruptive that's kind of how I usually handle things Mm -hmm. I had a circumstance earlier this week with a student who's not normally loud and is usually very respectful who is incredibly disrespectful and I didn't take to disciplining him as an individual, but I approached it as a whole class conversation and just said, you know, this was 
this was something that made me feel disrespected mm-hmm. and I'm not okay with that. And that shouldn't be happening in our classroom. And I'm lucky that I work with, you know, freshmen are 14, 15 years old. They're young adults and they're old enough to understand at least to a degree, being able to have a conversation about respect. Um, And so with all my students, I try to make it kind of a conversation instead of a punishment. Even if I send a kid out in the hallway, Mm -hmm. when I go to get them, I don't just let them back in to create chaos again. I'll stand out there and talk to them for a couple minutes and say, hey, what's going on? you know, I don't think that this was okay. I'll apologize if I had a part in it too, because I think with discipline, if it's only, if it's only one person who has all the power and control constantly asserting that over another person, um, it doesn't leave a lot of room for respect or dialogue. And then as a teacher, that doesn't create a good classroom culture, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So when you give a kid the space to say, well, miss, I felt hurt when you said this or when this happened or that you singled me out, it gives me the opportunity to be human with them too, which I think is a the best approach. Yeah. Um, but I think I handle discipline a little bit different than other teachers. Yeah. I usually just try to make it conversation-based because if you can't have the kids have a good relationship with you and respect for you, then it doesn't matter how focused they are in class because they're not going to learn anything if they're not enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. So for you, it's really about kind of starting a conversation with the kid and being like, you know, like, I want to know why you're acting this way or what happened. Did I do anything? And then like addressing those needs first. And then you also take like responsibility in case like you did something wrong so you're like you know I may have blah 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 and I didn't mean to make you feel that way so is that what you would say is your approach yeah yeah absolutely and like I said I I'm working with young people but they're young adults so they're kind of craving being able to stand up for themselves when they feel wronged or um, have a voice and I think giving kids the opportunity to have their voice because as older adults, we all know that there's two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. And maybe there was something that I missed when I was writing on the board and then I just hear shouting or, you know, I look away for a second and then I see kids shoving each other and I don't know the whole context of what went on. And so sometimes being a teacher is making a snap judgment and then to make sure that the environment stays safe. Mm -hmm. And then having a conversation on the back end so that kids don't feel uh, singled out. And it, it's not, I think as a teacher, I've gotten better at that, but it is hard to, when you're trying to do multiple jobs and wear multiple hats, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to make sure that you're doing everything very well. So I think making sure that I have a conversation with a kid, even if it's for a minute or two to explain my side and give them a chance to explain their side has worked the best out of anything I've tried I guess yeah and that kind of reminds me of it's like the newer approach discipline it's called the restorative justice um, model have you heard of it no I haven't basically the restorative justice model comes from the criminal justice system where offenders and victims will sit down in mediation so they'll sit down usually in a circle 
and they'll try to talk out what happened and find a way to restore the harm done by the crime. So really, instead of punishing students for doing whatever, the focus is on the harm that was done and really just trying to uncover the underlying reason for the harm. So its goal is to bring healing to everyone that was affected and making sure the incident the incident doesn't happen again. So it's really looking at those like underlying reasons of why this happened in the first place. And then yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's phenomenal. And I I just learned really early on with my kids that I work with last year. I remember this example of a student was being particularly sassy. Mm-hmm and had her phone out. We have like a no cell phone tolerance policy in our school. And so the deal is if they have their phone out, it just, um, the teacher takes and it goes on the desk for the rest of the day. The second offense, it goes down to our security office and the kid can pick it up at the end of the day. And then the third offense, their parent has to come pick it up. And that's a school-wide policy. So like, I didn't make that up. I'm just supposed to enforce Mm -hmm. it. Um, And so I remember it was maybe my second or third week here a girl had her phone out during class and wouldn't give it up. And what happens if they don't give their phone to you, you're supposed to have security come. They come and take the kid out of class for the rest of the class period, which is extremely disruptive. So I didn't really know what to do. It was, I was at a loss. So I started walking this girl down to the security office and she just started crying and said that, um, She was texting her mom because her mom lives in Texas and she doesn't hear from her very often. Mm -hmm. And she lived with her aunt um, and she was really sorry for having her phone out and she can't get in trouble or else she won't be able to stay with her aunt anymore. And so when you have a really big awakening moment like Mm -hmm. that early on, it really changes, at least for me, how you approach things, because there's almost always something going on underneath that you don't see or that you don't know about. So we always want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. So I try to do that with my students, mm-hmm. especially because they're so young, yeah. like they're 14. They, they're just kids. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's moments like those where we, I don't know, I guess where it's not where we don't see ourselves like as a teacher and like a student, it's really just looking at each other as humans and like, recognizing that we all have problems in our lives and you know we all have things that we bring into our lives and into the classroom that people don't usually know about right absolutely and I work in um a mainly Latino Latina school district Mm -hmm. and a lot of our kids um don't have really stable family lives Mm -hmm. and so race is definitely an element that comes into that too um kind of not to jump ahead but race definitely comes into that when we think about you know people of color being singled out more often Mm -hmm. or um you know me being a white teacher and a white female Mm -hmm. might be different than traditional roles or expectations that are held in their families Mm -hmm. too and finding ways to navigate and like I said it's all about providing a safe space for everyone involved when they're in my classroom yeah I mean like you said jumping ahead we were going to talk about this but I'll bring it up now we're on disproportionality and discipline so like as you mentioned Mm -hmm. um, 
students of color, including Latino students, are basically, I guess, punished more for infractions that white students wouldn't be. So they're twice as likely to be taken out of the classroom and suspended than white students. And they're also punished more frequently and harshly, which like if you think about it, like if they're if they have the same behavior, why would you punish one student more than the other? And there's basically research on this and basically says like the factor behind this is racism, that we all have mm-hmm. implicit biases that like work against us and um and yeah, they basically target black, indigenous and people of color and they are the ones who suffer for it. Yeah, and in having a basic understanding of that, um, that's why I try to handle, like I, unless things get very out of control mm-hmm. or like I feel unsafe, um, I try to handle things in-house yeah. with my students, which is why I will send them for a little time out in the hallway mm-hmm because usually it's just as much for me as for them, because I think it's quite silly for a kid, you know, he's or she's having a bad day, they mouth off or they're cussing at their friend or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they get taken out by security and suspended. I think that's really like, it's silly because they need to be in the classroom and they need to be learning and they need to have consistency in their day and their routine. And so as much as I can, to kind of mitigate the fallout of bringing in, for lack of a better term, the heavy hitters, mm-hmm. when it's, most of the time, like I said, if you have a conversation with a kid, it's really not hard to get to the root of whatever the issue is. Yeah. So, and I, I had a student tell me one time, the only reason he got sent out into the hallway was because he was brown. Mm-hmm. And I felt horrible about that because from my viewpoint, that's not why I sent him out in the hallway. I sent him out in the hallway because he would not stop talking and I could not even do like a fraction of my job. But understanding that, you know, perception is reality. And if that is his perception, then that's what his experience is and what that feels like for him. And I would never want to make a kid feel like they are getting picked on, especially for something that they can't control such as their skin color so you know when you have moments like those it's always a good check for yourself um and you know to make sure that you're being fair in assessing situations every time they arise in the classroom yeah I mean that kind of reminds me of like I wouldn't say this is a newer term as much as it was maybe like a few years ago but the school to prison pipeline which is, yeah, 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 which is basically that students of color who are suspended for behavioral problems in schools have a higher chances of being incarcerated. So like the more you suspend a kid, um, like usually when you suspend them, they first have to be taken out by security or if the school has police officers, it's usually those people who are dealing with the problem. And like the, I guess, like, those people like security and police officers coming in to grab a student for like maybe something as simple as talking too much and then being taken out like it it takes a toll on the child and it really kind of messes with their head psychologically and research says that students who are suspended more because of this have a higher chance of being incarcerated which is like 
really scary to think about and it's really sad because they're just children at the end of the day and it's usually for minor things it's not like big serious things you know right absolutely and I it kind of reminds me of um the psychological principle of learned helplessness where it's really sad that they do studies on, you know, they were doing it on animals that were getting shocked. And then eventually like every time a door opened or something, and then when the door opened, they just assumed that they would get shocked, even Mm -hmm. if the shock wasn't pregnant. And that happens with kids too. It's like the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you are told enough that you are a troublemaker or you are this, or you are that, then you believe that especially kids, especially young kids, but especially kids at the age range that I work Mm -hmm. with, it's such a formative, pivotal time for them. And if they keep getting that message, not only out in the community, but also in the classroom, what are they supposed to think their reality is going to be? And so trying to be, I, I'm not saying that I do a great job because I'm definitely human and I have those gut checks every once in a Mm -hmm. while, but trying to make sure that, you know, I'm annoyed that a kid's talking in class, but he's not actually really doing anything Mm -hmm. wrong. So the situation doesn't need to get blown out of hand. And I think sometimes it does. The other big thing too, is that, you know, sometimes I had a kid the other day that I went over, asked him to do his work and he just decided that he didn't want to. So he got up and slammed out the door and left. Mm -hmm. And when he came back, whenever our next class day was, the important thing is remembering that they're kids and every day gets to be a fresh start. Mm -hmm. Like he obviously had something going on that day. It probably wasn't even me. Maybe it was, I'm not really sure, but ultimately giving him, you know, every single day a kid walks in the classroom, they need to have a clean slate Mm -hmm. despite whatever chaos might have been going on the last time that they were in here because if not then you're just feeding into that system yeah yeah I mean going back like whenever if a kid is constantly told that their actions are bad and students will believe that because their actions are bad they are bad so then they internalize this thought or this belief that they're bad And then they carry that throughout their lives, you know? Like you said, kids are in this time in their lives where they're still learning and they're experimenting. So if they're told, um, my actions are bad, so I am bad, then they take that out into the world when it could have been, like, solved by having a conversation instead of suspending them or something like that, you know? Right, absolutely. And they're, they're young, but they're old enough to realize hey, like your actions weren't good. Like it's not okay that you were cussing your teacher Mm -hmm. out, but that doesn't make you a bad person. And I think so often we just say you did something bad so you're a bad person Mm -hmm. and it's just not true. Like you can do bad things and be a good person. You can make mistakes and still be a good person. And so giving room for humanity and realizing we all make mistakes and do bad things sometimes and that doesn't mean that we're bad people but those things need to explicitly be said as well Mm -hmm. and so I try to remind my kids of that as much as I can yeah I mean I think that's the way to go (laughs) like it really is like having conversations with kids and like reminding them that just because they did something bad this one time, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. Yeah. Right, right. 
So, I mean, I guess in your school, going back to disproportionality, do you think like those statistics apply to your school that um, students of color are disciplined more often than white students? Um, I would say probably because statistically that's the case, but I would also say in the case of my school, statistically, we have more um, children of color. So the numbers are skewed more in that way. So it makes it a little bit tougher to um, kind of, I don't know, like proportionately like what the discipline rate is, but I would say probably it's proportionally high to kids of color Mm -hmm. because we have so few um, white students. Yeah. And I guess like knowing these statistics, I guess, what would you say to teachers or future educators, like what can they do to limit the amount of students of color who are punished and suspended? Like what's some advice I guess you would give to teachers? Yeah, I think... um, at least, you know, as a relatively young white female teacher mm-hmm. teaching in a school where it's predominantly um, Latino, Latina kids and knowing that like our cultural background is really different, just being confident in who you are, but also like remembering that like your experience isn't really as important as their experience. Mm-hmm because you're an adult like you always have the ability to to say like hey I'm the adult and like I'm the boss of the room and kids don't get to do that so making sure that you give them a chance to have ownership and power in the classroom I think is really important and that's important for teaching in general but especially in the circumstance of discipline because if the kids like, I don't think it's important to be liked by all of them. Mm-hmm. I definitely have students that don't like me. Mm-hmm. But if the kids have a respect for you, then it mitigates a lot of those issues. And then, yeah, you have these one-off things that happen where you can say, hey, this isn't okay, and be confident in saying that mm-hmm. and send them out in the hallway for five or ten minutes for them to cool down. Um, and sometimes I'll even tell kids it's a lot different this year with COVID, yeah. but you know, sometimes I'll go out in the hallway, try to have that conversation with them. There's still a level of defiance or frustration, or I just know that, you know, it's, we're not clicking on that day and bringing them back in the classroom is not going to continue to be a safe space for everyone there. So, you know, write them a pass to the library Mm -hmm. and give them time to have some space before you bring them back into a heated situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, with discipline in general, regardless, I mean, it, it's different depending on what age group you work with, but high school kids, let them have ownership, like, and also own whatever your mistakes could be as mm-hmm. well. Like I said, there's times when I didn't know that I was hurtful and I wasn't hurtful intentionally. And I still hurt a student's feelings because he felt that he was sent out of my classroom because he was Brown Uh and he literally said that to me. And so realizing that an apology, even if for me, like it wasn't intentional saying, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way can go a long ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess ultimately 
in my opinion, it comes down to like handling things in house, Mm -hmm. like even if that means like out in the hallway Mm -hmm. um, and giving everyone a couple minutes to de-escalate and actually de-escalate because having two people heated me and a student and then trying to hash it out in front of everyone isn't going to help either of us. So giving everyone a chance to kind of have a couple minutes to settle down, continue for the classroom to be a safe space, and then go out in the hallway and have a chat with them and see if you can come to a resolution for the day. Mm-hmm. It has been the only thing that I found that works kind of. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks, Tansy, for joining us. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom you, you want to share with us? Ooh, good question. Um, I'd say just make sure that as a teacher, you're always trying to approach just from, you know, having a human heart and realizing that there's a lot of reasons that misbehavior stems from and just trying to make sure that you're always approaching kids with compassion and love the best you can even when they make you want to tear your hair out is probably um, the best way to create uh, the most successful classroom culture. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human and they're still learning. They're still kids. They're still learning. So I guess we can't be too harsh with them when it comes to little things. Right. And, and realizing that it can either be something that sticks with them for a really long time where they still feel guilt and shame about it, Mm -hmm. or it can be an opportunity for them to learn and grow. And we as teachers, as the disciplinarians get to choose what that experience is like for the kids. Yeah, that's some great advice. Well, that wraps up our discussion on discipline. Thanks for stopping by and thank you everybody for listening.